0: I followed programs from my favorite influencers and never reached the level they are posting on the daily. What am I missing? Is it all drugs and duck eggs? And can I legitimately build muscle with one of your training programs, Power Athlete? Mm. Hey everyone, thanks for tuning in to Power Athlete Radio, featuring the crew. Where a former pro football player and a D3 all-star use strength and conditioning as an excuse to talk about anything but. Now here's John and Tex.
1: Hey, Power Athlete Nation! Welcome to another episode of Power Athlete Radio. I'm John Walborn, CEO of Power Athlete, and also ten-year NFL athlete um, and. I am joined today by Mr. McQuilkin, a.k.a. Tex, director of training. Good to see you. Howdy. Nice. Well, uh, we have a special one for you today. We have pulled some questions from the hotline. We have this little thing called the Power Athlete Hotline where we ask you, the listener, and all the people that are following training programs, social media, whatnot, to call in and leave us questions. And... We get a ton so if you're interested in leaving us a question or you want to converse or put something out there really, real easy to get a hold up on the hotline nine two nine four six four four six four zero nine two
0: nine ing ing zero cool so today's a very special one because they use very colorful language
1: uh this one I've had sitting in my inbox for a little bit, and when some of these hit this actually came to info uh, when certain ones that are written like this come, I usually respond because I can tell that the person is a little frustrated and they do have a good sense of humor and they kind of understand, or maybe they don't, that, you know, maybe what they see on social media or they're seeing in the world isn't really a reality. But you want to jump right in and read away?
0: Here we go. Power Athlete Radio. Help me. I am lost and confused. I followed a dozen different programs over the last five years and nothing has resulted in my goal. To be thick, jacked, and juicy as fuck to quote the influencers that I follow on IG. I follow programs from my favorite influencers and never reached the level they are posting on the daily. What am I missing? Is it all drugs and duck eggs? And can I legitimately build muscle with one of your training programs, Power Athlete? Mm.
1: So, auto-unpack to quote our good <laughs> friend Rob Wolf. Uh, The first thing I read into it, uh, a dozen different programs over five years. Now, um, we'll give a little caveat and say, I hope you don't believe everything you see on TV or the internet. And I'll just give you a little antidote. The other day in the comments, a guy uh, commented on one of the pictures I posted uh, a year or two ago, and it was of that 67C10 that I was involved in with the Joe Martin show, Iron Resurrection. There's a show on Velocity called Iron Resurrection uh, that I was in. There was a guy who wanted a custom 67 C 10 built. He was either going through a lawsuit or divorce or didn't want to see his face on there. So they asked me to be the stand-in since I'm Joe's neighbor and know a lot of guys at the shop. So I agreed. Um, and I was the stand-in, um, he got the car, had a short period of time and then brought it to bear Jackson and sold, um, and then ended up losing some coin on it. Guy asked, Hey, uh, you know, this is your car. What happened? Why'd you sell it? So my comment to him was like, do you believe everything you see on the internet? Do you believe what you saw on that TV show? I was just the stand and I was the talent. That wasn't my car. And the guy was pretty bummed believing that that was my car. Now, would I have been stoked to have it? Of course, but that's not the reality. And I think sometimes what we see on TV or we see on social media isn't necessarily the reality of what really happens. Now, not to say that these programs and the guys you're following don't write good programs, but it'd be kind of hard to wrap my head around that if you followed a dozen of these different programs from different influencers over five years and haven't resulted in getting the gains, it could be a fact that maybe you don't understand the training aspect. Um, hypert- uh, hypertrophy, and if you want to break down the science a little bit, I pulled some of Brad's, go Schoenfeld's uh, research. If you look at up, he's excellent on uh, social media in terms of posting a ton of research working in a lab. But uh, there was an interesting quote that muscle hypertrophy can attained through a wide range of resistance training programs. The principle of specificity. I fucked that one up. Say S- it for me. Specificity. Dictates that some routines will promote greater hypertrophy than others. Now, what are the factors? What are, what are necessarily the different pieces of hypertrophy that go into this? So, um, uh, if you look at it, certain training programs do elicit a greater response than others. So why is that? Uh, it could be a number of factors. It could be uh, exercise selection. It could be volume. It could be intensity. It could be hormonal. So where we'd pretty, pretty much start with is, does the program adhere to a certain set of principles? Yeah. Um,
0: yeah. And this, this leads to, and we got to differentiate the two, the said principle and then specificity. So said principle, for those of you unaware, stands for specific adaptation to impose demands. Now the imposed demands, that would be the sets, the reps, the exercise arrangement, essentially the programs that we offer on Train Heroic. And then the specific adaptations, that's the mind of John Wellborn. That's what he is targeting with the arrangement that he puts out there. So that is programming. It's the specific adaptation to impose demands. Yeah. It's the nuts and the bolts. Excellent. So now to level up, and this is why I'll put our programs above anyone else's, is specificity. So within that, that is the specific setup and execution of the program, of the movements. Now, how we put you in the best position to execute the movements as it's intended in John's head, videos, coaching notes in there, and then feedback to help shape your movement if you post videos on the training feeds aiming to put you in the best position to execute it as we intend. And also there's amazing masters of movement videos. Yeah. We just filmed uh, a bunch of them today that we film and put out there again. So it's common exercises out there, but we dial it in. So they're executed to accomplish the specific adaptation that we're looking for.
1: So, um, let's, let's, let's cover some bases on, on just some of the like simpler wins, the low hanging fruit, Mm uh, number one, um, you know we don't know anything about the individual in terms of training history we don't know what he's doing for his diet right is he eating a high protein diet is he eating enough calories because to put on muscle and put on size you're going to have to be in a caloric surplus does he even weigh and measure his food does he know how much he's eating and more importantly how much protein is he consuming you know uh, muscle amino acids the building blocks you have to be able to consume them sleep is another major factor uh, and also we can look at hormones Um, no hormone panels. We don't know what his growth hormone looks like. Testosterone, IGF-1, all of those become key factors in being able to put on muscle. Um, And then we, we move over to specificity. That's right. I finally got it. Uh, We can start talking about mechanical tension. Yes. And mechanical tension is produced by force generated. And this is essential in terms of muscle growth and the combination of the stimuli really allows and i think when people get confused on this like idea of muscle tension they gotta i mean it only happens at a certain point when you're working towards failure Uh, a lot of times the idea of leaving a rep or two in the tank ends up being the difference between being able to put on the size of the muscle that you need Um, i remember a long time ago somebody made an interesting point to me that uh that the best way to put on muscle is through difficult movements done in amounts close to failure with a high degree of tension and intent. And I think that's another issue. When you go in, what's your intent? Are you driving past the intent or are you you bailing too early?
0: Yeah. Uh, This goes back to a number of podcasts that we've executed, external cues versus internal cues. And with bodybuilding and muscle growth, that intent, that internal direction that you have and focusing on the mind muscle connection does go a long way for building muscle now if we're working with basketball players reactive sports then we'd be more talking about the execution specificity of external cues as like simple as jump push power go so one word directions but then the internal cues and direction you're focusing on building the tension and feeling it it boil it bubble up and get to that point of uh, failure that John's speaking of.
1: Uh, There's also another point for muscle damage. Um, And this, I think, comes from, uh, you know, a long time. And we've seen within the CrossFit idea, uh, you know, within CrossFit training, that extensive muscle damage results in hypertrophy. Um, The research is a little hazy on that one where, uh, you know, training can result in localized damage to muscle tissue and under certain conditions could result in putting on hypertrophy. I really think what happens is as you train mechanical tension, muscle damage ends up causing protein synthesis. And even though it's not the driver, which I believe mechanical tension is, it plays a factor in terms of being able to create new muscle.
0: Well, yeah. And we can't say and point a finger to say, no, it doesn't, ha- hypertrophy does not happen. Well, no- because stress. nothing
1: exists in a vacuum and yeah. everything is played upon. It's like, uh, you know, it, like what's the weak chain? Is it the like, you know, Could we get blood work and find that this individual has a ten or uh, you know moderate amount, let's say, of uh, total of total testosterone, very low amount of free testosterone, and sex binding globulin hormone is through the roof? um, You know, which is produced in the liver and but gobbles up free testosterone, and that could be a key factor.
0: And their pain tolerance, because we're saying build up the tension and go to failure. Well, that's a little bit different for your pain tolerance. And then the average Joe out there.
1: And then also the movement selection. Like it's a lot easier to go to failure when you're using dumbbells and some machines than it is with some barbells. Like, I mean, I've squatted to failure on numerous occasions, and getting out of the bottom of that final rep has always been like, holy shit, am I going to die on this one?
0: Yeah, versus you on the leg press. Yeah,
1: versus me on a leg press where all of a sudden I'm going to failure. I'm like, oh, fuck. Bored. Yeah, there's no chance I'm going to die on this one today. So, uh, metabolic stress is definitely. A key factor, the idea that there's an accumulation of high force development to optimize, you know, training is another one volume versus intensity.
0: Yeah. Now we're back to the programming versus the execution. Yeah.
1: So the volume versus intensity is another key factor. Uh, there was another bit of research that talked about, let me pull it up. Resistance training volume enhances muscle hypertrophy, but not strength in trained men. They looked at three different groups, low volume, moderate volume and high volume and the strength numbers were kind of uh universal across the group but definitely the group that had the higher amount of uh, volume tended to put on more muscle just because you you have more opportunity to put them or the you know let's say the body through different ranges of motion
0: yeah and for our listeners that are not familiar john quick examples of volume versus intensity how do we find intensity is it it's uh, emotional stress, my no. feelings at the end of Fran? Uh,
1: intensity is is uh, defined as a percentage of 1RM. So if I bench, you know, 100 pounds, let's say, and I go in and I try to lift 90 pounds for 10 sets of 10, you know, that's a pretty high intensity for a ton of volume. You
0: mean 100-pound dumbbells,
1: right? Yeah. There's uh, actually an inverse relationship between volume and intensity. The lower the intensity, the higher the volume. The higher the intensity, the lower the volume.
0: So... What's a weight range that we can target more volume that still leads us to failure versus just doing it until we're bored?
1: Um, It's going to differ for every person. And I really think that there's an accumulation phase for volume. So, I mean, let's say you start out and you're doing three sets of somewhere between six to 12 reps at, I don't know, anywhere from 70 to 75% of intensity. And if let's say you handle that and you're recovering, you're able to push the loads now, what's interesting and the reason I give a rep range is that the the number has to be or, or the intensity has to be matched to the number of reps. So, for example, if I go in, I'm like, hey, okay, I'm going to lift 75% for six reps and those go up six easy and I can probably get you know half a dozen more. Do I need to push it? Of course. Now, the idea is that the final rep should be like, uh, I don't know if I'm going to get this and somehow, OK, I got it. Uh, that to me is pushing the intensity or pushing the mechanical tension and pushing towards mechanical failure, you know, with dumbbells and leg press and other movements, like let's say Bulgarian split squats, where, you know, the loading's a little bit different. You can push to the point of like, I cannot get another rep, drop the weights, like on a Bulgarian split squat and try to get some more body weight movements, which we do. Um, but I think this is where machines come into play, where now I, I can create a safer environment with stability to potentially build muscle in a, uh, you know environment where I'm trying to go to failure.
0: If your goal is getting right. thick and juicy AF. Yeah. So, if we're working with our athletes, our field sport, teenagers, college kids, uh, you know, post-college players, we want that balance to be a factor.
1: Well, the, the interesting thing. For the most part. Well, no, no. I, I mean, um, I had a, a, a talk to me, Johnny, years ago where a guy was trying to tell me if leg press was the best way to build strength. For the legs for sport and i disagreed with them because when you put a bar in your back was he a high school football coach no i don't know what no i think he, he made leg presses because he wanted to send oh. me his leg press but the balance aspect of being able to put a heavy bar on your back and st- you know and go down below parallel and stand up with good technique uh you know that um, you know physical perspicuity the ability to execute that i mean the way that you move through planes of motion. Uh, you know, that balance aspect becomes a key factor for strength and also for developing athleticism. You know, if you get into a situation where you sit in a leg press and all you have to do is push, uh, there's a direct relationship between hypertrophy and stability. So when I can stabilize the muscle using a pad or a seat or something within a, um, a machine, and all I have to do is push, there is a greater chance of hypertrophy, but you're not necessarily developing the body the same way as you are with free weights.
0: Yeah. We're bypassing or foregoing the coordination development that's necessary. Yeah. And yeah, you won't find machines on our bedrock program, our developmental program for athletes, but they can find a place on a specific program like Jack Street.
1: You know, um, years ago when we were training at metrics, um, I think I've told the story. Uh, I, I know, you know it. I, I you might even have been there. Uh, we went in and we watched a pretty young 13, 14 year old girl who was bench pressing, you know, young volleyball player in there with her, uh, with her trainer. And as he laid down to bench press, all of a sudden she's like going everywhere and I'm seeing it. I'm like, Oh my God, Inter and intramuscular coordination happening in real time. And what did he do? Oh, this looks terrible. Racks the weight and takes her over and put her on a Smith machine. Right now, all of a sudden the machine is developing the coordination and we're actually bypassing one of the elements of strength. So I really think that there's a hierarchy in this thing. Um, I think for all young athletes, and that's why we put it on the bedrock program and really in just that kind of maturation phase, free weights are so critical in terms of developing the strength, the hypertrophy, and really just the engine you need to be successful. As you get a little bit older and you get more training volume underneath and more experience, all of a sudden now we can kind of start subbing in machines and being a little bit more focused on hypertrophy.
0: And you're also prepared for compensatory acceleration and that intent, that speed of movement that also plays a factor in hypertrophy.
1: Yeah, Um, another factor uh, outside of volume and intensity is rest periods. This is really uh, pretty fascinating because the research is all over the place. You you, You know, some people say 60 to 90 seconds. I've seen as much as two to three. And then I've seen people say rest as long as you need to recover so that each effort you give is... One hundred percent. So that if I gotta rest five minutes to try to get 10 reps and can't get eleven at a heavier weight, that the uh intensity factor and in your ability to accumulate volume under that load is the driving factor, regardless of rest. Um that that's an interesting one. Um, because if you look at like the Mike Metzner and also the Dorian Yates one set to failure, there was so much work in the bottom side of that working up to that one final set, it's extremely misleading. People were like, man uh, Dorian Yates only did, you know, three or four sets in a workout. How did it take him so long? Well, the dude had six or seven, eight sets working up to that final max rep set. And, um, you know, the reason that we incorporate so many rep maxes into the training is for this exact reason. I'm expecting people to take between four or seven workup sets till they get to one final rep max type of set. Uh, the rest sets for me, um, I try to keep my rest down to, you know, right around two to th- two to three minutes. Uh, that's why I try to put my phone as way away from me as possible. I plug it in over by where the TV and if I'm working on this side, just because I don't want that thing anywhere near me. If I know if, uh, you know, I'm following Train Heroic, I tend to write it out on a piece of paper. So I have the paper in my pocket and I'm not constantly looking at my phone because I found that when I have the phone, I'm easily distracted.
0: Yeah, that's how I buy rest time. I put it as far away from me as I can and walk over.
1: So rest intervals. And then the other one is time under tension. So there's a ton of research on this. I mean, Charles Palkman was a huge proponent of time under tension for me personally. So I'm over between a controlled eccentric movement of, let's say anywhere from two to four seconds. So control the eccentric. And then what I want is I want an extremely violent, fast accentuation phase, which is the transition between eccentric and concentric. And then I want to use compensatory acceleration on the concentric movement which means that i'm trying to move the bar from point a to point b as violently as fast as possible i've never been a huge fan of time concentric movements yeah uh That's- we always want to move them with max speed and the research supports that control eccentrics, smooth accentuation phase violent concentric now you can start throwing some time movements in well at that, the bottom
0: that would be targeted muscle contraction So what you just explained there, that's your expectation of execution of all movements unless said otherwise. Mm -hmm. Now, when we get into targeted muscle contractions for an isometric or an eccentric, you will provide the time in the program that uh, your expectation is. The beauty, though, whether it's a targeted eccentric movement or targeted isometric, the concentric is always as fast as possible. And you do not provide that time to tempo on the way up.
1: Yeah. So uh, if you're going to do some form of dead stop or you want to put like a time um, at the bottom, you know, like, let's say the eccentric, well, not, not a three second, but when you start doing pause type movements or you're resting at the bottom or pausing, what you're trying to do is take the stretch shortening cycle out. Yeah. What I really like is that is really working up on that smooth accentuation phase and being able to transition between the two. So I don't get overly uh, wrapped around the axle on barbell lifts or big, heavy movers. But when we were filming for the uh, lateral uh, dumbbell and cable raises today. What did we do? We paused at the bottom, you bring it up and then come down because we were looking for, you know, to take the swinging
0: motion out that most people intended to use. And that was not a relax pause at the bottom. It was a intentionally stop the the momentum and redirect.
1: Well, I mean, even for, uh, let's say I'll just use the bench press, right? You bring the bar down and let's say you have a, you know, two count pause in your chest. I'm not relaxing. I'm still maintaining that isometric contraction. I love like triphasic, bring it down and then driving it up. Whereas I think a lot of times people think about resting at the bottom and there is no rest, you're still maintaining
0: max tension. And what John's sharing here, this is the value of specificity and having a switched on coach who knows what can go wrong and then giving you targeted directions to apply to have success. So even though we're writing, let's just call it three sets of five bench press, John will tell you how he wants it executed to accomplish the intent
1: and we're real fortunate especially when people provide video i mean when i get tagged in a ton of stuff on social media and i get a chance to glimpse in and see how the way people are training uh, you know just we we'll use the bench press we did a, a master's movement on bench press today because i see a lot of people bringing it down and a ton of elbow flare um, you know ideally you want to bring the bar down keep the elbows kind tight of tighter the rib cage elbows at a 45 and then bring the weight and drive it back Um, a lot of people, I saw it coming real wide and the elbow coming out and not keeping it tucked. I mean, just a classic flaw that can be easily fixed to help drive the bench press. We had another guy hadn't, you know, my bench press hasn't gone up in three
0: years, post one video. And I'm like, I can tell you why it hasn't gone up because your technique is awful. Well, this is why we do the masters of movement because there's this assumption that everyone knows, oh, dude, I played football in high school. I know what a bench press. No, it get you dialed in for our intention because we don't want to just increase the weight on your bench press. We want your bench press to then carry over to your pull-ups, to everything else, to everything you're doing. So then we create this, this more complete athlete when we're, yeah, sure. Your bench will go up.
1: Well, on the said side, um, exercise selection is extremely important. So the movement should be varied, multi-planar, um, you know, multi-angled, uh, you know, all to elicit, and stimulate different muscle fibers. So um, this is where it tends to help me you in know, talking with people and even asking like, hey, you just did that movement like when we were doing the seated dumbbell press after I correct, the way you did it first and then I corrected you and said, hey, try it like this.
0: Yeah, I was doing it wrong on purpose so you could get the
1: coaching <laughs> on film. No, dude, the first, <sighs> it was bad. And I know, but but you did a classic, that's why I said you did the classic NSAM seated dumbbell press. And that isn't the way we do it. And, uh, but then all of a sudden when I got you into the right position, cause one of, uh, I mean, has anybody ever coached you on coached you on the seated dumbbell press? No, uh, Zangus, that was one of our primary shoulder exercises and coached the shit out of us on that movement. The idea of, I want you to clean them up, you know, let, let your butt hit the pad and drive back. So you're actually pinning your butt in that corner, you know, good, nice and erect, and then bringing the weight up and then driving in. And, uh, once you did it, you felt a dramatic difference through the whole body and the shoulders power. Yeah. And it looked dramatically better. So, um, sometimes exercise selection, unless you have somebody coaching you that knows what the fuck they're doing, sometimes exercise selection is important. And, um, you know, all too often, uh, you know, I've heard people be like, Oh, I didn't feel anything. I wasn't getting any benefit out of it. This movement didn't help me. And it all comes down to, Really, the execution, and more
0: importantly, being able to coach through the movement. And shameless plug for Field Strong. We understand the the complexity of those movements, so then do a little pre programming mm-hmm. to put you in a position to succeed. So essentially, break apart the compound movement that we have into different pieces for our prep work. It's called patterning, and then put you in the best position to succeed.
1: Um, another key factor is hypertrophy training should have some form of like accumulation phase, like you're accumulating working in. And um, if you look at all of Jack street and all the kind of the hypertrophy programs we have, there's always a ramp up of you know, of intensity and volume. You know, we start easy and we, it's like climbing a hill, we climb a hill and then we go down and we climb it again. And then it's usually followed by some form of um, you know, taper that allows for super compensation.
0: Yeah. This is said principle all day. Excellent. And if, if, Look back on the programs that you were trying for the past five years, dude, and see if you can see these things or where they missed the mark that we're explaining here.
1: I think, and you know, we're just spitballing based on the question, but I really believe that uh, you know the twelve or whatever it is Instagram influences that you followed are pretty, probably, pretty, pretty well stacked. I mean, he mentioned duck egg, so he's making a reference to Mike O'Hearn, who uh, uh, I'm not a big duck egg guy, but I am a big ostrich egg guy.
0: I thought uh, he was talking about the breeze. Who's no, oh well, the, the been breeze, running horse since uh, he was thirteen. Well, and eating, he duck, eating eggs, duck eggs, fertilized duck eggs.
1: Uh, there was a whole deal where Mike O'Hearn was selling duck eggs. It's like the secret to putting on muscle. You know, my problem is they were like forty bucks an egg. I think is way he was selling them. So they're
0: pretty. You mean his egg, a duck egg farm? Yeah, I think he was growing them in his
1: house with his ducks. Um, but if you've ever had access to an ostrich egg. They're pretty expensive. I think, I think an ostrich egg cost me 40 bucks. Now, mind you, it made the biggest omelet I've ever seen. Like, I, I cooked the omelet for like myself and three kids, uh, but the yolk was pretty amazing. Um, side note, uh, the individuals that he's following are probably in phenomenal shape, know what they're doing, or the fact that you selected the wrong program because a lot of times people are writing the program that they're doing, and they're not necessarily writing it for them 5, 10, 15, 20 years ago. Yeah. So uh, the one good thing that we've done with bedrock and the different programs, there's a maturation phase. This is where you start and this is where we taper into. And I think if you can follow that and start really maximizing your intent and the way that you're executing the movements, I'm much more interested in perfection of movement. And, you know, at the end of the day, if you're trying to put on muscle, uh, do stronger people put on muscle more easily? I mean, I would say, yes, a larger cross-sectional size muscle should theoretically be able to support more weight, but really what it comes down to, if you've watched any high-level bodybuilders, there's extreme dedication and detail in how they train. The reps aren't sloppy, you know, and they're very, very detailed in how that executes. So maybe it takes a time or maybe hiring a coach or more importantly, making, you know, shooting some videos and saying like, am I really doing what I think I'm doing?
0: Yeah. To sum it all up, it's the program you follow, how you move. And then as we let off with protein consumption. Yeah. I mean,
1: uh, you know, like we said, the low hanging fruit, what are you doing for sleep? What are you doing for diet? Uh, you know, if you're really nervous about it and you might go to the doc and get some hormone checks, see that, you know, hormonally everything's firing, um, you know, and then from there, uh, you know, you can start dialing in the specifics. Are uh, you spending too long in the gym? I mean, I know that was a big stand-efforting deal. You know quick hitting gym i would rather go to the you know the gym three times for 45 minutes and spend three hours in the gym um you know so sometimes i think if you spend too long in the gym intensity starts to fall off and then you just start trying to stack on volume and i think that we talked about that there is a relationship to hypertrophy with just stacking on more volume but it's not a christmas tree you know like first you get a christmas tree you put a couple ornaments ten years later there's ornaments everywhere And what I need you to do is try to simplify and make sure that you're keeping a high level of intensity and intent through the entire training deal. So when I design stuff, I try to get people in, you know, if I can get you done in 50 to 70 minutes, that's ideal. If you're spending two to three hours following a program, I need you to go faster.
0: I got one final question for you, John. This is for our listener. The ratio between exercise filmed and exercise executed in a workout. What do you mean? Well, let's say I'm in there for uh an hour, sixty minutes of training. I mean, how much of that am I allowed to film and put on the line? Mm, Three sets? I think
1: you should only post one set, one movement a day. So if you go in and you film everything, I think you need to post your top set. Like let's see how you move. What about like- a superset? Well, even a superset, but I think you should film at least a few of your warm up sets and then go back and in, uh, you know, in the 60, 90 seconds review them. I know that's extremely valuable for me because sometimes what I think is happening isn't what's truly happening. And you know, you're doing your training, other people are doing their training. So, I mean, on occasion, I'll be like, hey, watch this. And uh, it happened the other day when we were doing safety bar squats. I'm like, fuck, man, something ain't right. And uh, you were like, dude, it looks like shit. You're doing this and this. And then the next one I came back and I was I fixed more,
0: them. I didn't say shit was more complimentary of how bad it looked, but cool. <laughs> you were
1: like, Oh my God, that's awful. But then when I put more weight on, which is what I do, when it looks bad, I just keep adding weight until it looks good. I added more weight and all of a sudden it's like, not yeah. recommended for everyone. Yeah, no, there's just me. Uh, but it ended up, you're like, Holy shit, you fixed everything. Well, yeah. Cause sometimes it's nice to just be reminded like, Hey, I want you to focus on this and I need you to move through this. And, um, you know, I think one of the secret, hacks. And even though I hate the term term hack for putting on hypertrophy is having a training partner that isn't fucking around on his phone, somebody that's engaged in the training, you know, and, uh, you know, helping you stay on task and you vice versa. And if you need some help or you need a little bit of motivations there to pump you up and get you ready. So I definitely think having a training partner, um, I've trained by myself for years and I really enjoy having a training partner and somebody who's in the fight with you. It's kind of like, uh, like my wife, um, you know, I mean, uh, not that a training partner is like, it could be like a marriage, but like, you know, uh, one of the secrets of a relationship is like, it's us against them. It's us against the world. We're in this, we're a team. And as you have a family, the same thing, or even like your team. Um, but I think having a training partner is extremely valuable, but only if that training partner is switched on and wants you to be better. Isn't just there because oh, I don't want to be lonely or well, just I'm- to
0: film you influencer in the wild. Well,
1: that's why you got to get magnets. I mean, I mean, doesn't Paul Carter, you know, walk around with like a tripod and sets that deal up and does all his video. So, I mean, he doesn't have a training partner and he just tripods everything. Then you put magnets on shit. But I really think the function of the training partner is not to film you. (laughs) It's not like I would take the phone and either set it up, like put it on a rack, put it on a tripod, do whatever. The idea of the training partner is to help you through the set, to coach you and to give you feedback in real time. If all he's doing is filming, he's looking at it through and he's not coaching you. So uh, I think that if you're going to have a training partner, don't let him film, you know, set up a tripod, put some magnets on it, you know, get it out. And then, you know, that way you're in the moment and he can coach you and also finding somebody or being, you know, forthright enough to be like, Hey dude, this is what I'm trying to do. This is what I want it to look like. And I need you to help me to
0: get there. Oh, so we got to add that to the point, get a training partner.
1: If you, if you have the ability to, um, or, you know, um, if you don't post have access, your lifts
0: to our feeds, yeah, and we we'll you. be your virtual training partner.
1: So at the end of the day, there's some real easy low hanging food for putting on hypertrophy, but I don't believe it's the fault of all of Instagram influencers and it's not their responsibility to somehow gift you muscle Muscle is extremely expensive. So it, you're going to have to fight for every ounce of it. So we're going to need you to dial in your training. We're going to think about perfection of movement and you're going to have to start fighting for that mechanical tension and start pushing yourself harder than you th- than thought that was ever possible.
0: Yeah. And if you can't push yourself hard enough to what it takes to build muscle, find somebody who will. Yeah.
1: Somebody will help. So, all right. And if you need help with a training program, you know where to find us power athlete HQ slash training, scroll down. We, we still have a seven day free trial. We can go through and try the programs. Maybe we might have those in the future. Maybe we won't. We have the option now but we still offer free trials. So get in there, do the training, hit us up on the feed, reach out. We got a hotline, we got info, we got a million ways to contact us on social media. If you got questions, we got answers. Hey, Click on PowerAthleteHQ.
0: See you. Now it's time for you to empower your performance. Head to PowerAthleteHQ.com backslash training to choose from a number of programs to meet your specific performance goals. And if you like to break a mental sweat too, visit academy.powerathletehq.com and become a real stakeholder in you or your athlete's success. Until next time, bye!